Welcome to a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. Don't worry, we're going to still be coming out with the main show later this week. We're going to be reviewing The Lovebirds, a bunch of other new releases. Obviously, we're excited to talk about that. But for now, we are going to do kind of this bonus show to cover some pretty significant news in the movie industry world. And you know it's significant because we very rarely talk about movie news, but this is a big one. So to help us do it, we actually have a special guest we're going to introduce shortly. First up, as always, I'm John Agroni of Adam Tickets. Sadly, my usual co-host, Will Ashton of Cinema Blend, he's not here today, but filling his shoes, we are so very lucky to have Cinemaholics writer Sam Noland here. Sam, how are you doing? I am doing just fine. I'm very, very eager to talk about this because it's something that uh, it, it's something that there's a lot of conversation around. So uh, excited to see where it goes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Same here. Uh, and you know what? We are so honored to welcome our special guest this week. He is a film critic, producer, writer, so much more. Uh, not only has he been the Movie Fights champion and the four-time singles movie of trivia Schmodown, he's also a writer and producer on a little thing called Honest Trailers, four-time Emmy nominated. I mean, look, you've seen his work all over YouTube, including his film reviews, and he actually has a brand new channel he just launched. Welcome to Cinemaholics for the very first time, Dan Merle. Hello, hello. How are you? Well, I th thank you for having me. Dan, we're so glad you're here. I'm doing pretty good, and uh, I, I think this is the uh, the perfect uh, conversation because I've always wanted to invite you onto the show. Uh, we met a few years back doing the, the Pixar movie fights. That was a ton of fun. That was great, yeah. Really glad we could make this happen. But, uh, you know, what have you been up to these days? Like, what do you have in store for this new channel? I'm sure the listeners want to hear all about it. Yeah, it's been we've been we launched uh, just over a month ago. And uh, it's been a real it's been a real adventure. You know, it's it's I was so long at Screen Junkies and uh, hadn't really worked at all in the YouTube space before that. And so uh, it, it is definitely a different animal when you're out on your own. But it has been a really fun, exciting um, adventure so far. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, I'm, I'm, you know, doing reviews, which I've always done and always loved doing. And, and I'm continuing to do those the ones that I can. Um, it's great to launch a channel that's largely based on movie reviews when there are no new movies hitting theaters. It's wonderful timing on my part <laughs> yeah um but uh but also just kind of stuff that i like to do i i made a video about robocop uh and made one about jaws which are two of my favorite movies and then you know, this this week um it, it, it's weird how it works out sometimes you know it, the the snyder cut video that i put out this week was probably the quickest turnaround i've ever had on a video from i'm doing a video to i'm posting it and it's now like probably one of the other than the the launch video the highest viewed a video that I have so far, so it it just goes to show you some you, the, the flexibility of it and just being uh, you know ready to roll with the punches. It's something I'm still learning about, but yeah, it's really I'm just trying to kind of build a place for people that love movies that want to talk about movies, new movies. Uh, I, I'm 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 developing and launching soon a, a, a format that's based solely around classics. Um, and then, you know, movies that I love and why I love them. Uh, it's uh, it really is just kind of a place for people to to talk about movies, to to largely love movies. We take our pot shots as well. Um, but it yeah. is it is really rooted in a love of film. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm having a great time so far. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, super stoked just personally um, on what you're going to be doing with that channel. Uh, we're going to link to it in the show notes. Of course, you can find it on YouTube under Dan Merle. And yeah, tons of videos already. You've been you've been working hard. And in fact, you mentioned the video that kind of prompted me to be like, oh, I really want to hear what you have to say about this on Cinemaholics and we can talk to you about it. And that is what you mentioned, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. So let's talk about it. Uh, big news this past Wednesday, 
HBO Max announced that Zack Snyder's heavily speculated, long-wanted uh, by a huge fan base, uh, his director's cut of the 2017 movie Justice League will come out sometime next year in 2021. It's going to be going on their new streaming service, like I mentioned, HBO Max, which is kind of like a HBO Now, but with like the larger Warner Brothers library. It's going to be a pretty massive thing. And that's a whole episode of Cinemaholics unto itself. But yeah, so Snyder himself actually announced the news as well. He was doing a viewing party for Man of Steel. And I'm actually going to read an official statement from Zack Snyder about this. He said, I want to thank HBO Max and Warner Brothers for this brave gesture of supporting artists and allowing their true visions to be realized. Also, a special thank you to all of those involved in the Snyder Cut movement for making this a reality. And I also want to read this statement from Warner Media Entertainment Chair Robert Greenblatt. He said, since I got here 14 months ago, the chant to hashtag release the Snyder Cut has been a daily drumbeat in our offices and inboxes. Well, the fans have asked and we are thrilled to finally deliver. At the end of the day, it really is all about them, and we are beyond excited to be able to release Zack's ultimate vision for this film in 2021. This could never have happened if it weren't for the hard work and combined efforts of the teams at HBO Max and Warner Brothers Pictures. So a lot to unpack there. Uh, let's break this down. Dan Merle, what is the Snyder Cut, and how did we even get to this point? Oh, what a long uh, tale to weave. Um, well, Zack Snyder was, uh, you know, after following Batman v Superman, was uh, the director, and he is still the credited director for Justice League, the version yeah. that came out back in 2017. Uh, he was, uh, he had a very personal tragedy. Uh, his his daughter uh, took her own life, and so uh, mo- uh, se- several months before the film came out, he stepped away from the project, and uh, Joss Whedon was brought in to finish Justice League. Uh, and in that process, uh, there were many, many reshoots done. Um, you know, there have been reports, conflicting reports, and, you know, insider reports are so hard to parse because you never know where they're coming from. But that the studio wasn't happy with the movie, that they brought in, you know, some say they brought in Joss Whedon, that Joss Whedon stepped in to finish it. Some people say they brought in Joss Whedon to fix it. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there. Uh, but the, it, it resulted in the theatrical cut, the cut that was released uh, back in fall of uh, 2017. Uh, we all know that movie did not do well and was not received particularly well by uh, many fans uh, and certainly not by critics. And almost immediately, uh, because they had started promoting Justice League, trailers had already started coming out. There was material in the trailers that was not in the film that was obviously from Zack Snyder's version of the movie. And so starting with analyzing that and then as reports came about how much of the movie was reshot and and how much Zack Snyder had not completed in the sense of it was completed and done and ready to go into a movie, but had shot and how much had been assembled into an edit, there almost immediately began a demand to release the Snyder version or the Snyder cut of the movie. And that has been the narrative really for now almost or two and a half years, really. And uh, it is something that has been hotly debated amongst uh, uh, fans, amongst uh, people that do media analysis like myself, uh, you know, the the journalists. Um, it, it really did long. I mean, it, the movement was massive. There were there were protests in front of Warner Brothers. There was there was billboards at Comic Con. I mean, y- you couldn't go anywhere in the movie space without seeing, um, you know, this this release the Snyder Cut movement. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the crux behind the video that I released was, and I'll admit it, and I'll admit it again, I never thought there was a chance in 
hell that this would ever be released because the, the state that the cut was in, you knew that they would have to put tens of millions of dollars into finishing it in order to present it in any way that felt finished. And so I didn't believe that would ever happen. Not in a million years. As it turns out, the decision was made by Warner Media uh, to to do just that on HBO Max. They're going to be pumping uh, reportedly twenty to thirty million dollars into what Snyder had done to get it into a state where it could be considered at least finished or presentable, and uh, fans will get to see their Zack Snyder's version of Justice League after many many years of lobbying the studio to do so. That's right. Yeah, I have to say I was kind of on that same train uh, where I really thought this was unlikely. I think I've got on the record on Cinemaholics of saying like the chances are so slim because the amount of money they would have to spend on a movie that's already lost them uh, nine figures. It, it was kind of a, a huge hill for them to climb. So I do want to say like there's good reason to assume that this would never happen. But I think the conditions kind of came in like just the right ones. Uh, what, what mm-hmm. do you think, Sam? Did you, did you predict this? Were, were you thinking this could happen someday? Um, it's, it's, I've, I've had an interesting history with this and I think it's important to remind everyone that, uh, Zack Snyder directed Man of Steel and then he directed Batman v Superman and then Justice League. Justice League was planned to be, uh, sort of a part one of a two part, uh, saga that uh, that just as uh that uh, yeah. Zack snyder was going to also direct the second part of and i don't know if this is true or not but i heard that there was also going to be a fifth movie that they never specified um and somewhere after the release of batman v superman after the uh very negative response to that mostly by critics um that was when they decided to kind of course correct and it was at that point that the vision uh Zack snyder's vision i should say that was when it started getting uh, shifted, started getting course corrected a little bit. Um, so I think this is sort of um, one of the one of the early examples I can think of of a trend that started to emerge in the past, just like three or four years of movies that are part of big franchises that have, in one way or another, sort of gone out of their way to uh, meet demands of viewers, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I think I think one of the early examples, um, and, and not a lot of people think about it this way, but when you look at Thor Ragnarok, a lot of that movie, especially the first act, is sort of centered around uh, undoing all the weird loose ends from Thor The Dark World. Yeah, yeah. There, Marvel was clearly willing to sort of playfully, like, resent everything that they'd done in that earlier movie uh, in favor of taking it in a different direction. And I think it worked to pretty decent effect in Thor Ragnarok. Um, and then, and that came out just a couple of weeks before Justice League. Another one like that was not as big of an example, but Godzilla King of the Monsters. Uh, the Gareth Edwards movie was uh, criticized a lot for not showing enough of the monsters. Whereas Michael Doherty's movie really kind of went the exact opposite direction to the satisfaction of a lot of fans. I know a lot of people who dearly love that movie for specifically that reason. I have my problems, but what are you going to do? Uh, and then, and then uh, it kind of came to a, came to a, a real head with star Wars, the rise of Skywalker. That's kind of, that's kind of the ultimate example of this. Um, so I think this, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out because yeah. I have to imagine uh that they were that, that Warner Brothers would have been perfectly content with uh 
releasing Justice League, that theatrical cut that we got, into the ether, had there not been that rallying cry to release the Snyder Cut, I feel like they would have been perfectly content with just letting, just leaving that movie be. Because they've, in the DCEU films that have been released since, they've uh, they, they've gone in a direction that's that's clearly a lot different. Yep. Like Aquaman hardly references the events of Justice League. I think there's one line of dialogue to that effect. Uh, Shazam has basically no connection and birds of prey is only connected to suicide squad tangentially. So they're not as into the interconnectivity as, as they were when Snyder was kind of helming the entire series in a way like wonder woman and suicide, a squad uh, suicide squad aside uh, Zack Snyder directed the majority of those movies leading up to justice league. So um I think there's been a lot of uh, artistic sympathy for Zack Snyder. I think that's what all yeah. of this really boils down to. So I'm I'm very curious. I think that's that's what it that's what it boils down to. I think I'm I'm optimistic that it'll turn out all right. So uh, that's that's kind of where I stand. I would say. I thought of two things after you brought that up. I thought of uh, the demand to fix Sonic the Hedgehog. A pretty yeah. recent example. And also, uh, speaking of hashtags that have been uh, satisfied. Um, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well, I don't know if you do. Justice for Han? Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. another thing. Oh, wow. That is a good one. You know, a, a, probably a gentler movement, um, but still mm-hmm. pretty feverish. I, I know I've always... I've always appreciated Han from Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious, and he's coming back. So. Naturally. Anyway, uh, let's talk a little bit more specifics about this assembly cut or this final cut or whatever you want to call it. Uh, starting with you, Dan, I mean, what do you think this cut of the movie might be like? Um, how? What do you think they have to do to make it salvageable, like to make it a version of good that will satisfy the most amount of people? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the thing. When I released my video, I said there, there were... There were many things that I got wrong. I think there was one thing that through the the development of the story that that was that was confirmed that I thought and that many thought from the beginning, which is that you know the cut itself was not and is not ready to just <clears throat> if the cut was ready to be released, they'd probably release it tomorrow because they're launching HBO Max, you know they, they of course they would want it there. but it is in it's in the same shape that any movie would have been if it if work were. Uh, stopped or if it was adjusted many months before release um unfinished effects unfinished score or no score in a lot of places um you know sound design and and sound mixing and editing to be done um th- they said that they potentially are going to be bringing in uh, actors to do additional dialogue recording you know it's 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 a yeah. rough cut it's 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 what every movie especially a movie of that size is many months before production which is why i always thought that that it would never really see unless it was presented as kind of a work print in a way um similar to how but not exactly the the richard donner cut of superman 2 which it has some additional work done but is mostly an assemblage of what they could get to make an approximation of what the finished product would be there's some screen test stuff in there and it's not a final version um to make it a final version is going to take what they're putting into it uh, uh tens of millions of dollars effects to be finished sound to be done score to be written uh, you know additional involvement from the cast um and so yeah i think if we're to look at right now like what is the snyder cuts form it, it's probably a lot of green screen a lot of unfinished vfx shots no score um it's it's a rough it's a rough cut it's an assemblage it's uh 
it, it's not a, a polished product. And so uh, the investment to get it there is going to be hefty, but it seems, well, that doesn't seem like it. This is the stated uh, goal of what uh, Warner is going to do is they're going to put that money into getting it where it needs to be because, um, you know, there's so much that is done even in the last weeks before a film is released that Snyder's version never got to because they came in, they reshot, they restructured, they cut out uh, reportedly a lot of material that we could now yeah. be seeing for the first time. Right, which is why it could possibly be extremely long. Uh, so like I, I know that image that Snyder himself put out was I think the original cut he was working with before he left post-production was 214 minutes. Uh, for context, uh, what they ended up with was a movie that was just barely two hours, um, yeah. so which is 120 minutes to give you an, uh, an example. So almost double the length. So there's been talk that you know this could be a six-chapter series akin to how Netflix sort of re-edited The Hateful Eight to be a little bit more salvageable for a, a streaming service. Uh, and that seemed to work out to some decent uh, success. I know for me personally, I prefer Hateful Eight from start to finish. I think you do too, mm-hmm. Sam, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I actually have not seen the miniseries version, so I wouldn't know. I do love the Hateful Eight, though. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, you're going to have to get back to me on that because uh, as somebody who also enjoys that movie, I'd be curious if you think that format works. Uh, but yeah, did you have a take on this too, Sam? I mean, do you think that this is just going to be another Batman v Superman Ultimate Edition where it's just a few extra things, it's not that different? Or do you think this could be like drastically different? I I think it will be drastically different. Um, I think this is, this is a very unique uh, beast we're working with here. And I think there there's a reason that they're putting so much money into this. Is um, we've we've seen other movies like this, uh, such as the extended editions of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, even or the God knows how many cuts of Blade Runner that have been put out there. Um, the difference with those movies is that they were already completed, like as is, and with the exception of you know a few shots that they might have added in after the fact. Um, Releasing those was just a matter of adding in those scenes that have been deleted, picking them up off off of the cutting room floor, so to speak, and inserting them into the into the timeline of the movie. Uh, This is sort of uh, it's as we've said many times, it's a movie that sort of never got to be in its final form. Um, and so I, I've, I've read various reports. I've heard that the Martian Manhunter was going to be a character in this version. Uh, (laughs) I've heard that Darkseid, one of the, one of the biggest villains in the uh, DC universe was, was going to have at least like, you know, a bit part role as opposed to just being alluded to, um, in the theatrical version that we got and various other things such as Willem Dafoe, uh, was originally going to be introduced as his character from Aquaman in Justice League. Uh, I would imagine there would be more background on the various heroes as opposed to just them sort of showing up and joining the team immediately, which is more or less what happens in the theatrical version. Uh, an hour, like like an hour and a half and change is a lot of time. In, in movie time, that's a lot. And especially considering that uh, it's very likely that they'll end up cutting out a lot of the scenes that Joss Whedon had shot, um, whether for whether for, you know, wanting to redo the same scene in a slightly different reason or just getting rid of it entirely. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of extra movie here. We'll probably see a lot of those scenes that were in the trailers for Justice League that never made it into the movie. Um, I think it could be very interesting. And I'm. 
I think it'll be a different movie. I'm not sure. Not sure if it'll be good or not, as is Who true knows? with any movie. But yeah, yeah that's Hope that for the is best. for that is for time to decide. I'm hoping for the best. I think that I think the thing that I find fascinating about the DC extended universe, as it's called, is that there is to to a certain degree, almost every single one of their installments that they've released has had some sort of controversy, um, as opposed to. Uh, let's say the MCU where almost like every single installment is almost unilaterally accepted as being at least pretty good. Like they strike a pretty decent three, three and a half star tone most of the time. Uh, And we can, we can usually agree on those movies. Whereas the DCU uh, opinions are all over the place. I mean, there was a time, I don't know. Like, do you remember this? I'm sure you do. When Batman v Superman was like one of the most controversial movies out there, um, still it's, is it's weird. Isn't it to or, think. Oh, I mean, it's it is. It is. Trust me. It okay, is. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I wish it, it I do, wasn't. I, but... I don't have my finger on the pulse of the of the discourse campfire as much as you to do. But I, in my ex, in my personal experience, it's it's not as toxic as say Star Wars, for instance. There's a, of course, a lot of toxicity, but there's also a lot of chivalry to these to these uh, uh, DCU fanatics uh, that I've observed at least in passing, and I think the rallying for this Snyder cut is not out of some sort of, um, how should I say this? It's not out of some sort of demand to have their needs very specifically met, uh, like we had with something like uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. It's uh, I think artistic integrity is what I used before. They thought that this movie was sort of unjustly treated at the end of the day, and they want to see that rectified. And so I think it comes from it comes from a good place. Uh, let's let's hope it pays off. Uh, it's uh, in, yeah. in monetarily and spiritually. Sure. Yeah, I, I think we're we're gonna get into a little bit of that shortly. But first, I do want to ask because um, you kind of brought this up too. It's like. Why would this be happening right now? Um, I think the the timing of this is very interesting and the conditions are sort of just right for something like this to come out. Uh, specifically, we can talk a little bit about uh, kind of the obvious uh, elephant in the room of what's been going on in the movie industry right now and why it seems like production involving visual effects and things people can do from home might actually be worth the resources put into it uh, for this to come out on a streaming service. But yeah, Dan, so like, why? what do you think prompted Warner Media to finally say yes to this? I mean, obviously some of it is fan demand, but a lot of it is logistics too. So uh, what, what do you think about that? Um, I think, you know, the pandemic probably played some part, but I, I've seen a lot of people giving the pandemic full credit for this. I wouldn't necessarily go that far because, you know, if you yeah. believe the, if you read the the original story, this is a discussion that had been going on reportedly, at least as far back as November, the, there had been a screening of it uh, in February, which would have been at the very outset of the pandemic here, at least in the, in the U S um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the pandemic perhaps helped was a factor, but I don't think it was the driving factor. I think it was perhaps a case of, you know, Warner brothers is now in a much larger, um, in a much larger 
world. I mean, you have Warner Media now. The studio doesn't just exist on its own. Uh, it's particularly with HBO Max now. They have an outlet, and, and that that's really. I heard a lot of steam getting picked up. It's like, well, HBO Warner has HBO Max. Why don't they just put it out there? They have an outlet. They have a play. It's not like you have to put it in theaters. So I think it's a combination of having their own streaming service and those those streaming wars, as we've called them for for a while, picking up, and everyone is on the hunt for. What's something that can draw eyeballs? What's something that can draw subscribers in business? That That's a pretty big one um, to, to put the Snyder Cut on there. Um, and it's a factor that, honestly, I didn't consider uh, and wasn't wasn't even a factor for this entire thing. Warner didn't announce their streaming service until about a year after Justice League was released, you know, as far as, like, that they were even doing one. Um, I also think that... It's kind of alluded to in the statement from the the chair, from the Warner chair. It, it, I, there had to have been a factor. Anything that Warner Brothers did, anything that Warner Media did, anything that DC did, was immediately set upon um, for the by the Snyder Cut fans. Um, you know, even you know, sometimes it was when it was related to DC stuff. But I, I'm just talking about any any Warner movie, anything. Like we we made a joke. Uh, about it because as with every fan base there were some people in the Snyder Cut fan base that took it a little too far or a lot too far not everyone but some as happens with yeah. every group of fans ever anywhere um but you know w- w- the one that we I think we pointed out in one of our honest trailers or or in the one uh, one of our something that when I was at Screen Junkies is that even when like Lorraine Warren died um who was the 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 person that they based the conjuring on her and her husband uh the top things underneath where you're like, okay, but release the Snyder Cut. I mean, it was everywhere. So, and they mentioned that in the statement, just like, it has been in our inboxes for two and a half years. I do wonder at a corporate level, if at some point they just sort of looked at the numbers and said like, it might be worth the investment to do this if it means that we can now move our our property and our company on from this and just say like, okay, we did it. And I think that's going to be a component of our discussion later on about if that sets a precedent. But I, I do think that, you know, while the pandemic may have played a part, I think a much bigger part was the fact that they have an outlet to do it. It's a competitive marketplace. Uh, it's another way to make revenue. So you don't have to just worry about, are people going to go see it in a theater? If we put it in a theater, are they going to buy yeah. it on Blu-ray? If we put it on Blu-ray now, it's like, are they going to pay for a subscription for our streaming service? If we put it on there. And also I think that there may have been particularly at a corporate level, a desire to just say like, you know what? Um, let's just, Let's do this because, you know, we need to move on. We need to be able to move on. Um, and, you know, the, the the fans have been at the forefront of this movement, but I also think that a big part of it was because, you know, I, we covered it in real time. It, it, it was it was certainly present, but it had sort of reached uh, a, a, a bit of a, you know, a dull roar uh, when the actors and when Zack Snyder himself started, started pushing for it. Um, I think that's another factor is... Right. That I think put it over the finish line. The fact that Zack Snyder was actively saying, like they had, I remember it. That there was the, the 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 first time it bubbled back up was there was a he was at a convention and somebody asked him about a Snyder cut and they said when are we going to see the Snyder cut and they and he said ask them and that like skyrocketed it right back up to the top and then he kept you know he t- he t- he sent out the he, I was gonna say tweeted out but he's on Vero he he Vero'd out the film cans and said <laughs> yeah. like here's the cut and then you know you had Ben Affleck you had Jason Momoa you had uh, Gal Gadot like you had all of the actors saying release the Snyder cut and he himself was saying like it exists you should ask for it that's also a big reason was they actively campaigned with the fans and said keep pushing 
keep doing this, keep asking because it exists. And I think that ultimately is what pushed it over the finish line. I think that's right. Uh, I basically agree with you because I think that they probably were planning to do this and they were probably putting the right moves in place to make this happen. Um, I do think it's a little, I think the tricky thing is how they're going to handle marketing this with HBO Max and separating that from the Matt Reeves Batman movie. Because it depends Mm. on how they frame it, right? If they frame this as like the closure to the first saga of the DCEU so that they can move on, like you're saying, and then go on to, okay, here is a new Batman, here is it. But part of me wonders is like, is that really the right move? And because are people going to um, have an issue with uh, Robert Pattinson in this world to the extent they already are? And is this going to muddy the waters? Is this is this going to be another Jared Leto, Joaquin Phoenix thing where these alternate characters are sort of conflicting with each other? So that's part of why I've been wondering, did the, the pandemic sort of drive them to maybe doing this a little faster so they could release this uh, a little bit more time before that movie comes out toward the end of next year, and hopefully there'll be enough separation there. We really don't know for sure. We don't know what, what production issues they've been running into because of everything that's going on. We don't know what content they might have had planned for next year that has now been put on hold that we haven't even heard of yet. And so there's tons of factors, but I think, yeah, the, the bottom line is it's going to be coming out, and it is going to be this thing that, uh, for better or worse, is going to be the signifying end of this long running campaign from this fan base. So taking a cue from that, I want to ask you guys about uh, a tough question to answer because uh, this can probably set off alarm bells in people's heads, but you know, does this set a good or bad precedent for the movie industry? I want to bring up uh, Joanna Robinson, wonderful entertainment writer wrote for vanity fair. She called this, a long and occasionally toxic fan campaign that mixed good intention fundraising with coordinated and vicious social media attacks on critics, myself included, has one company in its desire to stir up attention around the launch of its streaming service, HBO Max, emboldened, quote, bad fan, end quote, behavior. Or is this just the normal of fandom ownership in our social media age? We don't have the time to fully answer this question. It's it's a long, long thing, but I do want to get just sort of your quick take on it. Um, I'll, I'll go to you, Sam. But you know, what, hmm. what, what is your what is your take on this? And I, I know that uh, you, you certainly have some strong thoughts about you know toxic fandoms. I know you, you and I have talked a lot about how this is like you brought up earlier with Star Wars. But yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I think we've we've seen this kind of pattern uh, grow a lot. I, I mentioned those various examples of movies that have kind of resulted from this kind of behavior, but this is uh, this is definitely a huge sort of like uh, like kind of revelation in it when uh, to the point where they're spending as like a ton of money, like a a astronomical amount of money on this, uh, considering. Um, that it's not going to be a big theatrical release or anything. Uh, at least we don't think so now. And so I think the whole, uh, the whole thing about emboldening, f- uh, bad fan behavior is something that definitely needs to be taken into account. But I also think it's, it's strange to think how this specific, uh, occurrence will, will, have ramifications in the future because as i said already this is a very unique situation here uh this is this 
like very rarely happens to this extent where um, a, a, there's a version of the movie so different from what we got that a campaign can even just theoretically be uh, centered around it. So I think we might not see this exact thing happen again when it just comes to release the blank cut uh, just because it's not really feasible most of the time. Um, but yeah, we we have seen this girl a lot and I think it's going to be important to remember that, um, how should I say this? I wouldn't say this is necessarily like a victory of the fans over Warner Brothers. Um, but then again, this is the very early stage of this. We st- we've still yet to see how it's actually going to play out in the long run. So uh, I think it could it could turn out all right or it could you know com- spiral completely out of control. Uh, it's kind of a boring answer, but it's the diplomatic one. Oh, uh, no, we're yeah. just going to have to wait and see. So... <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 fascinated by all this and so I just I hope it turns out all right cuz wouldn't that be nice. Same here. I mean I think to what you're saying, you know, you can make the case that uh, part of what really I think Dan you mentioned this like part of what really persuaded Warner Brothers wasn't the toxic fan behavior it was uh, the good intention fans. It was the ones who mm. appealed to Zack Snyder, who then appealed to the other members or to the members of the cast and the other people who worked on the movie to make this happen. That's at least what it appears to be to me. But uh, what's your take, Dan? Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's a very complicated thing. Like I mentioned, it, it, the bad apples a lot of times get the most um, press. And, you know, there was there was a lot there was a lot of money raised for suicide prevention through this movement and um i you know a lot of them and i saw them in my comments a lot of the folks that were pushing for this are very happy they are um you know they they have a, a perspective on this that's 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 healthy they were just you know they were advocating for a version of a movie uh, and i think what sets this apart was it was a version of the movie that already partially existed that's what i think sets us apart from from a movement like Remake the Last Jedi, which would be uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, of an undertaking, uh, which is, you know, I, 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 you, you could say that I've learned my lesson, uh, but perhaps I haven't. But I, I can say with a fair amount of confidence that Disney is not going to pump $200 million into remaking The Last Jedi. I hope um, so. I will say that with a fair amount of confidence. We'll see you back <laughs> here in two and a half years, Dan. To, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just bookmark that quote now, so I can apologize for it in in three years. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I see the point regarding the bad fan behavior because you know I can speak from a critical perspective. Um, the time, you know, that you get feedback all the time, and and a lot of it's good, some of it's not so good. But the the very few times that I've had to sort of separate criticism that I've gotten, not even criticism, that I've had to separate threats that I've gotten around a review for a film have been for DCEU films, 100%. And I think it's because they attract a very loyal and a very passionate fan base, obviously. Uh, But the ones that go over the line tend to go way over the line. And so that draws a lot of eyeballs. And so I see this, and I've I've, I've had it. I see this, this suspicion or this kind of um, view of the particularly the DC movie fan uh, as this very extreme fan. Um, I I understand why people have that method because they are very loud and they they can get a little a little scary sometimes. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but I think what this has shown, especially with the reaction, is that most of these fans uh, 
most of them were legitimately in it because they they liked Snyder's previous work and they wanted to see the realization of that vision. Uh, and that's what they're getting. So um, it, it's very easy, and I and I have done it as well to to lump all of them into the the toxic fan uh, pool. Uh, when when as a matter of fact, it is it is not even close to the majority. It's just many times happens to be the loudest. Um, and again, like I said, that happens with with the fan base of of almost every thing now, especially in the social media age. Um, I think when you talk about setting a precedent, I mean, we've had two two high profile cases in the last year. We've had Sonic, which was you know re- completely redesigning the character at great expense, and now this. But these studios, you know, they're not running charities. They're not running like. Um, a please the fan charity. I think that it's in their interest to keep their the fans of their stuff happy, but I don't think the Sonic move would have been made or this move would have been made if somebody at the studio or the parent company didn't think that they would either make money or that by not doing this thing that it would lose them money. I think that was the case with Sonic. I think they realized that if they kept that design, it would probably lose them money yeah. and overshadow their film. And I think someone at Warner Media probably decided that this would make them some amount of money. Um, so I, I, I think you're right. It, you can, you can take certain lessons away from this, but I, ultimately I, I think that what's going to be taken away is that studios, you know, Sonic was a pretty successful movie. And then, and I said this in my video, if the, the, the folks that have supported this and have advocated this for this for so long, um, show up and, and, and you see a big boost, big boost HBO subscriptions and, and they make money off of this. I think the precedent that it may set is that it will give studios, they may take, uh, put a little extra weight into these movements because it's proven that it can either not lose them money or make them money. Uh, I, I think it helped Sonic's case. We'll see there's the, you know, next year when this comes out, what it does for HBO max. So, um, I don't think this is going to set a precedent where everything the fans want, they're going to get, but I do think it'll give the studios that extra ammunition to say, let's look at the economics of this and let's, let's see if it's worth doing this in a way that they may not have done before. I couldn't agree more about what you're saying there in terms of uh, the, especially that minority of fans being so loud and so vocal and how that shouldn't drown out a lot of what has been done and has been uh, correctly good intentions. So let's move away from this cut and finish out with a little bit of fun speculation on, uh, you know, what are, what are some other cuts you're curious about and would maybe like to see one day, uh, Will Ashton, who couldn't make it, he he did want to chime in here and say he wants to see Josh Trank's cut of Fantastic Four, which I don't. I'm, I'm just gonna say like I don't care. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I don't. That's I'm not number gonna... one on my list. <laughs> is that the one it you're is. gonna bring up? Oh, okay. Then please talk about it. Why, why do you want to see this one? The Trank cut of Fantastic Four was definitely number one on my list because um, I certainly did not enjoy. Uh, to 2015's Fantastic Four. However, hmm. I felt like the first half of it, the part that it seems like before the studio took it took it over, um, I thought the first half of it was at least something interesting. Um, and I, I don't know if I necessarily liked it, but I would have walked out of the movie going like, huh, you know, I don't necessarily know if that worked. 
but it was it was a really interesting take on this this group and um you know that that was a it was at least something different and in the middle of the movie it became something completely not different at all it became just the most watered down version of everything you've seen before and it, it kind of invalidated the the weirdness of the first half so I, I would actually love to see Josh Trank's cut because I think that Fox got cold feet I think they thought the movie was too weird I think they thought that it was too much of a downer and that it wouldn't attract a big enough audience. And they went in and they said, we know what audiences want. And they turned it into the most generic thing in the world. I would like to see, like, maybe it got, maybe it would get worse. But I was at least interested in the first half of Fantastic Four uh, and not at all interested at the literal half. I mean, there's literally a screen that it just, it cuts to, it should just say cut to <laughs> studio notes. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the rest of it is all studio notes. So I, I, I am I am on board with the, the, I would love to see that version of the movie because I don't know if it'd be good, but I think it would at least be interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The second half of that movie is... Uh, Hard, hard to remember, actually, at this point, but I do remember how I felt, which was not good. Um, the, I only wanted to bring up one movie here. There's a bunch of cuts, but the, what, the first one that I thought of was Brenda Chapman's cut of Brave, which doesn't technically exist. There's probably only just storyboards of it, but I've always felt like Brave is the kind of movie that really feels like out of nowhere becomes a totally different thing that doesn't really jive with like really the first 30 minutes, which are really good in that movie, in my opinion. And there's been a lot of bad blood and a lot of uh, a lot of tension between Chapman and Pixar for reasons that may have to do with Lasseter eventually getting ousted and the creative differences between her and him and then her getting replaced by Mark Andrews. All of that is, to my opinion, just a real shame because Brave ends up being one of the weirder missed opportunities for Pixar movies. So that that's mine. Uh, Sam, what, what do you got for us? Uh, there are a lot of like unmade movies that i would love to see uh jodorowsky's dune is kind of the go-to example for that um, absolutely stanley stanley kubrick was going to direct a napoleon movie had he uh gone on to live longer um but uh the one that came to my mind first um is not so much like an alternate you know uh cut of the movie so much as it is an extended cut uh the original first blood from uh from 1982 uh, I, I believe the assembly cut came in at around three hours and 30 minutes. Uh, and they, and they cut that down into the movie that we got and all that extended rest of the movie has never seen the light of day. And I don't know about y'all, but I think the first Rambo movie, I want to make that very clear. The first <laughs> one yeah. only is really good actually like it's it's actually quite good and so, like just the last thing that the sequels would make it seem like it was uh and so i would love to see just three full hours of vietnam remorse uh <laughs> yeah. being being expressed um in this movie that the version we got was quite good but i would love to see the rest of it uh and the other one is one of the oldest examples of this exact thing um which is a movie that you've probably never heard of if you're listening in the audience uh it is a a 1924 silent movie called greed directed by eric von stroheim yeah. uh the original cut was in the ballpark of eight hours long and two two some odd hours is all that survives, plus another hour and a half of like storyboards they've been able to vaguely reconstruct with screenshots. Uh, 
it's I've seen the movie. It's fantastic. I and it's a really slow burn. I want it even slower. Damn it! So <laughs> it's lost. Like it. Like it does not exist. It's unless it's in some film canister in uh like Paraguay or something, and no one knows about it. Uh, for all we know, it's out there in the world somewhere. Maybe someone will find it one day. Right. Yeah. Because they they reconstructed it right once, and it's still not even close to the original runtime. Yeah, they've reconstructed it. Like you can watch it; it's available. Um, yeah. The the short version, I should say. Uh, and finally, this one this one actually is uh, not unlike the Snyder cut. This one actually is getting released. A movie that's almost fifty years old. The day the clown cried oh, God. was never released for the longest time. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's Sam. it's a movie. It's a it's it's a movie where Jerry Lewis, yes, that Jerry Lewis, yep. plays a clown who entertains children uh, in World War II before they go into the gas chambers. What the hell is this movie? Didn't he direct that too? He directed it, he wrote it. And he reportedly had it like in a briefcase that uh-huh. he kept with him like yeah. in his office. Uh, yeah, wasn't that suppo- <laughs> didn't he say you could release it after he passed away? Yeah, I think that was one of the stipulations. I, I, if, if memory serves, 2024 is the date when they're allowed to screen it just because of contract stipulations and what have you. Uh, Jerry Lewis did yeah. not want this thing to be out. He was either ashamed of it or... Uh, embarrassed by it or or he wanted a time capsule or something <laughs> maybe so or maybe just wanted to be really famous one day yeah. uh, of course he's since he's no longer with us but that'll be fascinating to see yeah, once it finally comes out the library of congress does have a copy of it don't they uh-huh that's that is that's going to be the only way to screen it yeah let's just hope it's not completely mediocre because wouldn't that suck I want it right, to be right. It's got to be w- terrible or a masterpiece. Otherwise, well, it's weirdly some, amazing. Harry Shearer is the one that I remember. There's some people that have seen it. It's like a handful uh-huh. of people that saw it. Um, oh, really? But <laughs> yeah, that's just. Yeah, I, I do feel like though that might be one of those where the, the legend is bigger than the, the film itself. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. It'll it'll probably come and go relatively quick, but the, the, there'll be a little sliver of time mm-hmm. where the day the clown cried is finally out, and I can't wait to be. I can't wait to live that long. <laughs> Hopefully that'll be a day very soon, right? John, you're yes. you're a Pixar guy. I, I've seen. Do you know how much of the Toy Story version existed where Woody was just an angry dick? Like, because I've seen like the, I've seen yeah. like the storyboards with the voiceover that was like when they almost canceled the whole movie. But like, was yeah. that, did they do the whole? Did they record the whole movie that way? So I actually I was at the uh, 20 year anniversary um, just out here in San Francisco and. John Lasser was there, Pete Docter was there, um, Andrew Stanton, and they were talking about this. And they did say, it, I think a vast majority of it had been storyboarded. I think the whole thing actually had been storyboarded. And they had only done the voice acting for a few segments of the film. And I think they, they showed Disney, like not the complete film, but kind of like a version of the film's quickly outlined. But this is like way before or not way before, actually, this is right before they had actually done the Army Man sequence, which that is what saved Toy Story from actually coming out because that was an idea. I think I think credit goes to Lasseter for that, I want to say, either him and uh, one of the other animators who was like, we got to come back to Disney with something to save this movie because you're right. The Woody being a jerk thing, that is like totally, uh, totally what almost sunk that movie. But also Toy Story 2, right? Like that movie got deleted. <laughs> and yeah. so they had... 
they almost um, <laughs> lost that movie. That, that would have been a lost movie if, uh, fortunately, an animator had it illegally backed up to their home computer. And then I think there is a version Gosh. of Toy Story 2 very similarly that never came out because they decided this is good enough to be a theatrical. So they just sort of redid the whole thing. Um, but yeah, Pixar is definitely well known for their kind of they're more secretive about this stuff. Like we really don't know what Newt was going to be. We don't really, you know, Good Dinosaur <laughs> oh, is probably one of the only that. movies. We have actually a lot of details like the voice cast and like what they were going to be going for before they fired Bob Peterson and Pete Stone came in and just redid it. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I want to see that Toy Story cut. That would have been <laughs> just depressing. Yeah, that sounds like a creepy pasta of some kind, like something that it, that like you'd have to take a shower after watching the angry Woody cut. It's weird. Like I, they they put a few like a, maybe thirty seconds in one of the making of documentaries, and it's it's it is it is off putting. It is very yeah. off putting. Where he's just like yelling at Slinky, and it's just like oh, oh my goodness, and it's Tom yeah. Hanks' voice, so you don't want it. <laughs> no, no. Uh, All this is to say, release the Peterson cut <laughs> one day. No, one day very soon. But um, all right, thank mm-hmm. you both uh, so much for coming on and talk about this uh, very interesting movie news topic. Again, we don't we don't talk about movie news often on Cinemaholics, but uh, definitely thought this was warning a lot of discussion. Dan, thanks so much for for lending your voice and uh, your insights thank as you. well. Don't forget to check out his YouTube channel, Dan Merle. Again, it's totally linked into the show notes. And uh, Sam, I know you're, you're you've got tons of stuff going on. As always, we're going to plug your letterbox because that's where the action is for you still, right? <laughs> <laughs> day in and day out baby that's right <laughs> always plugging away <laughs> that's I spend there. pretty much all my time oh yeah do you have anything left to, to plug dan before we head out uh yeah well yeah youtube.com slash dan merle movies is uh, my channel i'm also on patreon patreon.com slash dan merle uh that's where you get all the stuff on youtube i I try to throw that up there a little early also i do uh, a monthly movie club we're actually wrapping up our first month now they they the patrons choose the theme so this this month the theme was movies that define me so i picked four movies i picked uh an american tale which is the first movie i ever saw and uh star trek 2 the wrath of khan et and who framed roger rabbit um, four very key movies for me growing up. So we're going to be doing the discussion of that this week. And then we're going to be picking the theme for June very soon. And then I also do a commentary. I did a commentary track for uh, Jurassic Park. And I'll be doing another one of those for June. So uh, a lot of really fun stuff. We're having a great time over there. So, you know, if people check out the YouTube channel and want to take an even deeper dive. You can find me over on Patreon and on Twitter at Merle Dan. It's funny you mentioned Jurassic Park because I would probably be in my four um, since I'm more of a child in the 90s. So... <laughs> That kind of works out. Um, Great tease. Uh, Definitely check that out. And uh, we'll see you all next time.